Hey, Mountain. Glad you're here. Uh, my name is Ben. Welcome. Uh, how many love fishing? Raise your hand at all of our campuses. Yeah? How many of you hate it? Seems like anyone who's ever been fishing has a fish story. Have you noticed that? Like everyone who's ever been fishing, they, they have this, oh, I got to tell you this one time. In fact, this week on my Twitter and Facebook account, I put out an invitation to tell me your fish stories. Oh my goodness, did I hear some great fish stories. You need to go to my Facebook page and look at the, I got people that were telling about catching eels and uh, boots and rocks and uh, sharks. One person said they, they brought a tuna up to the edge of the boat, and just then a shark like bit off the rest of the tuna, and they only caught the head, and fish jumping from one hook to another. Well, I got some great fish stories, but the, one of the greatest fish stories of all time has to be the one that was told by George Costanza. George Costanza in a Seinfeld episode, you remember that Seinfeld episode, it begins with Kramer's out at the beach, and he's hitting golf balls off the beach into the ocean. He's just hitting golf balls just for the fun, you know, out in the ocean. Well, meanwhile, uh, George, the, the hapless, chronically underachieving George, has this girl who starts expressing interest in him. And so she says, well, what's George up to these days? And Jerry wants to impress her and hook him up. So, so he says, uh, George is a marine biologist now. He lies. And she's so impressed, she decides to go on a date. They're going for a walk along the beach, and they notice this commotion. And there's a crowd gathered, and then they notice there's a whale in distress in the shallow waters. And someone from the crowd says, is anyone here a marine biologist? And of course, she looks at George, and she says, George, save the whale for me. Will you do it for me? And we'll let George tell the rest of the story. Come on, George, finish the story. The sea was angry that day, my friends. Like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli. I got about 50 feet out, and suddenly, the great beast appeared before me. I tell you, he was 10 stories high if he was a foot. As if sensing my presence, he let out a great bellow. I said, easy, big fella. <laughs> and then, as I watched him struggling, I realized that something was obstructing its breathing. From where I was standing, I could see directly into the eye of the great fish. Well, whatever. <laughs> well, what did you do next? Well, then, from out of nowhere, a huge tidal wave lifted me, tossed me like a cork, and I found myself right on top of him, face to face with the blowhole. See from the waves crashing down upon me, but I knew something was there. So I reached my hand in, felt around, and pulled out the obstruction. That's a great fish story, right? That's a, how, could you, how can you top that? Can anyone top that fish story? Well, uh, um, actually, yeah, I can. Says a guy named Jonah, right? Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Last verse of chapter 1 in the book of Jonah says this, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. 
And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now that's a fish story that's hard to beat. Let's rewind if you uh, are just joining us. Maybe you missed last week and go online and catch the message or just read chapter 1 for yourself. Uh, In the book of Jonah, in the middle of your Bible, there's only 48 verses in the whole book of Jonah. You could read the whole book this week or every day this week and you'll get something new every time. We'll recap and rewind just a little bit real quickly. Jonah, last week we learned, has a lot in common with you and me and Forrest Gump. He runs because we all run from God. And he was the runaway prophet, supposed to work for God, but he ran from God. God said, go to Nineveh. He said, no way, and took off in the other direction. You look at a map, kind of get an idea. God said, go to Nineveh, which was about 500 miles to the east. He went down to Joppa, to a seaport, and then took off to Tarshish, which was a long way in the opposite direction, trying to escape from God, which, of course, you can never really do. He cannot run God. Sin is running from God. And grace is God running after us in all the ways that he does. God pursues us. He's like a hound of heaven, always dogging at our heels, nipping at us, trying to catch up to us till we stop running, pursuing us relentlessly. Like Psalm 23 says, surely the goodness and mercy and steadfast love of the Lord will follow, pursue me all the days of my life. And God's pursuing you. Even in this moment, he's pursuing me, all of us. And so God pursues Jonah, and sometimes God pursues us, and the way it comes across to us is not a way we might expect. He pursues Jonah by sending a storm. And out there, you can picture the storm, the chaotic scene. They're on this ship. He's trying to sail, and, and things are breaking up, and it's getting terrible, and they come yelling at Jonah, it's, what's going on? And Jonah tells him, it's my fault. I'm running from God. That's why this storm is happening. And they're like, sorry, dude. Sorry, God. And they throw him overboard. And that's where we left Jonah sinking in the murky Mediterranean last week. And that was the end as he sinks down, 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 drown, drown, drown. Looks like the end of Jonah. All of his running finally caught up with him. All of his disobedience and the consequences now come and smack him in the faces. There it does him in. He's a goner. It's the end for Jonah. But then, all of a sudden, as he's drifting in the water. Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, let's stop right there. It's just now getting exciting, but we want to pause there, and I want to say something that might help some of us, because some people get really hung up on deciding, you know, well, was this a whale? Was it a fish? How could this have really happened? How scientifically does this work out? Could a person really survive and live through that kind of thing? Was he dead and come back to life? How did this work? Is this just some kind of fish story? Is this Finding Nemo or, you know, Free Willy or something like that? Is this Jonah thing true? And of course we can know that it's preserved in sacred scripture for us because it is true at the most fundamental level. Scripture is like a knife that has a way of penetrating and slicing, doing surgery on our soul, doesn't it? Cutting into the deepest places. It knows us better than we know ourselves. And you'll find the book of Jonah that way, speaking truth into your life in a very 
powerful way like nothing else can. And the Bible is useful. All of it is useful for teaching and helping and correcting and aiming us and helping us understand God and what he wants from us. It's still people get hung up on whether, is it historically factual or not? I mean, did these events actually happen? Like, I don't know if that stuff could happen. It sounds like a lot to swallow. Like those guys on Mythbusters, you know that TV show? Like, if they, if they got a hold of this and tried to simulate that, the guy with the big mustache, if he got a monitor in, in, inside a fish and tried to figure out how much oxygen there was in there, and, and, and they, could they prove that this could or couldn't happen? And, and I, would just, you know, I would just say, I think that's a big adventure in missing the point. Because first of all, you'll never see Jonah and the whale uh, on, on Mythbusters. Because this story is not something that even fits in those boundaries of how, something you can logically or scientifically prove or disprove. Because any more than you can prove or disprove anything that is supernatural activity or miraculous. You'll never see the Red Sea parting on Mythbusters. You'll never see Jesus feeding the 5,000 on Mythbusters. You'll never see manna from heaven, Jericho falling, or Jesus calming the storm, or walking on water, or rising from the dead. You'll never see any of that because it lies in the realm of supernatural. These are interventions and miraculous things from God, and that's why it's so important for us that the centerpiece of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is something that we know was historically factual happened because there were hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw it and him, and that part we do have eyewitnesses for but some of the rest of the miracles we don't and so you say well i don't know if i can believe in miracles to which i might just say if you're having trouble with all this i would just say look around the room look at the people next to you and what you see there is you look at those bodies that exist around you you're seeing signs of god's supernatural power right next to you not to mention god's sense of humor <laughs> right Think, think about your body for a second and how filled it is and these amazing systems that exist in our bodies. Go home and look in the mirror, and what you're looking at is 10 trillion cells in your body. That's a few. In your skin alone, you have 45 miles of nerves. Someone says to you, you've got a lot of nerve. You say, yeah, I've got like 45 miles of it. Did you know you produce about 25,000 quarts of spit and saliva in your lifetime? That's like enough to fill two swimming pools. Think about that the next time you jump in, all right? The average human body is amazing. Each of our bodies contains enough iron to make a three-inch nail. Your body has enough sulfur to make about, oops, did I do the wrong one? Yeah, sulfur to kill uh, an, uh, fleas on an average dog. Your body has enough carbon uh, in your body to, to, to make about 900 pencils. And you have enough fat in your bodies to make seven bars of soap, give or take, depending on the soap and the body. <laughs> if you took all the blood vessels of your body and laid them end to end, you'd probably be dead. But if you did that, okay, do you realize those blood vessels in your body would stretch all the way around the world two and a half times? You have 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. And every single day, the distance your blood travels in those blood vessels is 12,000 miles. Your blood goes from here to L.A. and back again twice every day. No wonder you're tired. <laughs> Did you know that if you removed... Well, let me do one more. Uh, your heart beats 35 million times a year, which on average is about 1 million barrels of blood. You have enough bl blood pumped to fill three super tankers. 
Now, remove your small intestine and lay it out, which I wouldn't recommend doing right now. But if you did that, it would stretch to a length of 22 feet. That's your small intestine. Every millimeter of that intestine is lined with millions of cells. And each of these cells contains thousands of tiny little villi, projections that look like little fingers. And each villi, each villus contains microscopic microvilli. Every inch of your small intestine has 10 billion microvilli. And every single one of those, reading from a medical journal now, brings in fresh oxygenated blood and sends out nutrient-enriched blood. The villi sway constantly to stir up liquefied food and remove nutrients, which can then be absorbed and passed through the membranes of the villi into the blood and lymph vessels. The fatty nutrients go to the lymph vessels, and glucose and amino acids go to the blood and onto the liver. And the muscles which encircle the tube constrict 7 to 12 times a minute to move the food back and forth, to churn it, to knead it, and to mix it in with gastric juices. In other words, you're a lot busier than you knew. There's a lot going on inside of your body. That's just in one of your 10 billion microvilli, let alone all the other systems in this complex array that's all put together in the human body. We haven't talked about the eyeball or anything else. You want to tell me that's random luck? You want to tell me that all happened just by chance? To, I, I can't buy it. I can't buy it at all. So it, it tells me that there is a designer, that the Bible is correct when it says you're fearfully and wonderfully made by the same God who spoke salamanders and the Serengeti and starfish and you and me into existence, the God who invented photosynthesis and created DNA, the astronomer who flung the stars into space and calls them by name who knows the number of hairs on your head. If that is all true, then I think God can figure out how to get one of his fish to swallow one of his kids. Okay? So it's not a big deal. If you believe the first words of the Bible, in the beginning God created, the rest is not hard to swallow. Okay? Seriously, think about it. Now, with all that said, there are a number of very notable, faithful biblical scholars who study these things very closely, who feel like the language of Jonah and the structure of the literature reads a lot like other parts of the Bible that are parables and allegories. And parables and allegories is something the Bible uses a lot to convey important spiritual truth. We know Jonah was a real guy, but is this maybe uh, an allegory or a story? Uh, Jesus, this was one of his favorite ways of conveying truth, parable. You familiar with that? He told these stories. You ever heard of the Good Samaritan? Okay. There was a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he, and he got beat up on the way and left in the ditch, and the priest and Levi came by, and they did nothing, but the Samaritan came by, and he helped the man and put him on his way and paid his bill. And Jesus says, who's the good guy? And they said, the last one who helped. And Jesus said, go, be like that guy. And it's a great, profound spiritual truth. But guess what? It's a parable. It didn't actually happen. If some researchers came and Mythbusters said, you know what, we did archaeology and we discovered there was never actually that man that day that went on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho and got mugged. <gasps> Is the Bible not true anymore? We'd be like, hello, I don't think you're getting the point here. Because it really, the, the, the parable is a powerful means of expressing truth. And it doesn't take away from the meaning one bit. So don't get hung up on whether something can be scientifically shown or or, or, or that kind of thing at all. Because the truth and what it reveals about God is unchanged. So we know Jonah was a real guy. Jesus actually refers to him. He was a prophet who lived in that time period. And God sending a fish to swallow Jonah is not a problem. So you might as well just say it happened. But perhaps if you'd like to be convinced that it's an allegory or a parable, 
to teach a truth that God wants us to know? Either way, God's word, sacred scripture, is truth. And this is a true story in the most important way that true is true. And it is meant to penetrate your heart and show us something. In the resurrection of Christ, we know that's true and historically actually happened on a given space and time. People saw it. And a God who can raise Jesus from the dead is going to have no problem sending a fish to swallow Jonah and keeping him alive and resurrecting him. But either way, don't miss the truth and the point of the story, whichever conclusion you come to, it doesn't matter, is that God wasn't just dealing with Jonah. God wants to deal with you. And that's why it's in sacred scripture, the true word of God, to come to us, to speak to us today in this moment. Now let's get back to the story. And look at what happens next, because this is really beautiful. This, this is a, chapter 2 is a prayer of Jonah. And it's obviously not him in the fish with a flashlight and, you know, a pad of paper like, hey, Mr. Whale, slow down, I'm trying to write. This is obviously his reflections after the fact as he looks back on that pivotal moment in his life. Maybe you've had some moments like that where things became clear through a crisis, perhaps. And you spoke to God in a way that was more real than you ever have before. And that's what we're looking at today, chapter 2 of Jonah. This is his prayer of rescue and, and his desperate cry to God and God's merciful response. This is, this is, him, this is the, the guy who, who said, God, I don't care about you. And he called to God and God listened to him anyway. God sent his enterprise runaway because they... They, they pick you up and rescued him as a God of second chances. You talk about a God pursuing. Now, one thing you'll notice as you look at the text, if you notice some of the details here, it's interesting. In, the, in chapter 1, the word down keeps appearing. The writer is very intentionally trying to show us something. The word down, Jonah keeps going down. He was, trying, he was called to go up. To Nineveh. God had an upward call on his life just like he does yours, but Jonah chose instead to go down to Joppa. It would have been literally downhill and down south, but he went down in more than one way, didn't he? And then he goes down and gets on a ship, and then he goes on the ship down below, and then he goes down to the lowest part of the ship, into the belly of the ship, and then he's thrown overboard, and he goes down into the ocean, and the whole prayer talks about these times. He goes, I was down on the bottom of the ocean, and then he gets swallowed by a fish, and he's down in the belly of the fish, and he's down, down, down. His whole life is pictured as a downward descent, a downward spiral, and when you distance yourself from God, that's what happens. We, it leads down. And maybe you know this already. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. Maybe you will someday. You'll be at a place where you're, very just, you're just feeling very down. <laughs> and your life is a, on a downward course. Or you're down and out. Or you're down on your luck. Or you're spiraling out of control. You can feel like everything is just, it's not moving up in a good direction. And you might even think sometimes, like Jonah felt in this prayer, I'm too far gone. I'm at the bottom. I'm in too deep. It's important at those moments to remember the truth 
we see today in Jonah chapter 2. When I was a kid, I dropped my pocket knife off the end of the dock, went into the water. It's like, oh, shoot. So I got down on my belly and stuck my arm down in the water, couldn't reach the bottom. So, you know, I roll up my sleeve, couldn't reach the bottom. I had to take my shirt off, couldn't still, couldn't reach. Start sliding over a little bit more, hold my breath, put my head under to get it, still can't get it, eventually fell in the lake. But eventually I got that knife. Listen, no matter how deep you've gone, how far down you are, God's arms are long enough to reach you. Okay, he's got long arms. And his, his reach is lower than your down is. So the song of gratitude, this song of desperation reads like this. Let's, let's look at it, some of it together. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Here it is. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down, down, down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Whoosh. But then I said, oh, Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I'm going to look up to you, God. I sank beneath the waters, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. That's graphic. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. In other words, the bottom of the bottom, wherever you could go, in the lowest place in the earth. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. A very permanent, final, desperate situation. In other words, this is a real prayer. He finally got real with God. Look at verse 1 again. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. There finally comes a time when you're ready to talk to God. Are you at that place? For Jonah, it took a lot. God called him. He ignored God, didn't even say a thing. He just ran the other way. They're in a storm. Even the pagan sailors are praying and calling on his God, their God, any God. Still, Jonah won't even talk to God. He gets thrown overboard. He doesn't pray. And finally, in the belly of the fish, he reflects later. He says, that's when it was for me, when I called out desperately to the Lord. You can pray anytime, anywhere, but it's time for us to pray prayers that are real, where instead of perfunctory words, somehow you're encountering the Lord in a real way. That's what's going on here. God got his attention. Does God have your attention when you pray? We sometimes think praying is when we pray to get God's attention. No, no, God wants to know, do I have your attention? Verse 2, look at verse 2. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. In my distress, remember that word distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Amazing. From the depths of the grave, remember that word, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah says, forget you, God, but he calls out later for help, and God doesn't blow him off. It's amazing. Now, that word distress, in the Hebrew language, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It's the word tsara. Everyone try that. Tsara. Here's what it is. That word, which in your Bibles is going to be translated trouble, travail, difficulty, whatever like that, it's really a word that's used usually in the, in the Hebrew language when someone's giving birth. It's a word for the distress of labor. It's the trauma and trouble and pain and anguish of childbirth. That's what the word is used for. You see what's happening here? He's inside the belly of a fish. He's using a pregnancy word. In my distress, in the agony, it's, it's as if I'm being born. 
And that's when I called on God and he answered me. Now look at the other word there. From the depths of the grave. That word in the Hebrew is the word sheol. Everyone try that. Sheol or sheol, yes. And it's the word that might be in your Bible just translated grave or death or land of the dead. Some translations even put it hell because that's what it is. It's this, it was the underworld. It was the place where you went when you were dead. It was the place the farthest away from God you can imagine where there's no hope and the bars are locked. The gates are locked. I'm the farthest away from my Lord. I, I was helpless. I was miserable. I was afraid. I was hurting. I was in Sheol. Some of you know what Sheol is like. You might feel like you're in Sheol right now. You're in hell. It feels like that. A certain part of your life is that way. I had a person just last week tell me, my marriage is hell. That's Sheol. I, 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 I met someone who said, you know, outside everything looks fine, but inside... I'm, I'm miserable, and I don't know what to do. That's Sheol. Depressed, hurting, afraid, anxious. And Jonah, in Sheol, in his miserable place in the depths, calls out to God, and God answers him from that deep, dark place. When I needed him the most and deserved him the least, he was there for me. That's your God. Now put the two together, Sheol and Sarah, Sarah and Sheol, childbirth and hell. And you see what he, what's going on here? Here's what he's saying. I was as good as dead. I was in hell, God, but you caused me to be born again. I, I, I called to you, and all I knew was pain. But Lord, now I look back, and I see that you are actually giving birth to me. It hurt like hell, but... I'm alive and I'm new today. That's what the story of Jonah chapter 2 is saying. I was helpless, but I was not hopeless, God, because you were there. I didn't know it, but you were there in the belly of the fish with me. And it was actually birth pangs that I was feeling. And I'm in the travail. Friend, whatever trouble you've got, whatever difficulty you're having, that nagging stress and the difficulty and the trouble and the trial of it, know that that could be travail. It's labor pains. God's in the belly of the fish with us. And, and the Sheol, the hell that you're experiencing, is not wasted. When you turn to God, he uses it to deliver us, as we're about to see. He uses it to do something in us, to help us be born anew. He's with you in the water. He's with you in the belly of the fish. You know, uh, it's graduation time. My daughter graduated from high school. She's here listening to me right now. Uh, words I have for her... Today, I want to give to you, and I want to write them on. I'm tempted to write them on every graduation card I write this year if, if people didn't think I was so depressing. But you know, just like no mama enjoys the travail of childbirth and would never want to go through it again unless you could hold that new baby, we don't want to go through Sheol unless it's just sorrow. And leads us someplace. So here's a poem. To follow up all the happy graduation speeches that say, the future is yours, do whatever you want to do, achieve your dreams, blah, blah, blah. Here's the card I don't have the guts to send to my graduate friends. I wrote these words because I, I think they're true. I wish you well in life, yes. To be blessed, sure. But I also hope you will know the greater blessing that only comes when your plans fail. May your expectations be frustrated. May your desires go unmet. 
may your dreams die, leaving you hurting and helpless, so that you may finally come to the end of yourself, your plans, your abilities, and power, falling completely upon the Lord for strength, so that in those moments of horrible darkness, you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real, God loves you, He is with you, and He is enough. That's my prayer for my daughter and for you. The Apostle Paul says, you know, I had this terrible thing going on in my life. It was a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it's just like all the stuff we've got. All the seaweed wrapped around our head. He said, I prayed God get rid of it, and God didn't get rid of it, and we all get mad at God, and some of us, that's the end of the story. But Paul went on to say, I've come to figure out that that thing is the thing that helped me know how weak I was, and that's where I experienced the joy and the strength and the power of Christ in my life like I never would have without that seaweed around my head. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, therefore, I'm all right with my weaknesses, my insults. Friends, let this be your words, my disasters, my harassments, your stressful situations, because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong, because God's strength is known in our weakness. Now, I want to take you on to the hinge point of this whole deal. The turning point of this prayer and the turning point of Jonah's life and the difference maker in our lives, too, comes in verse 6. That's where you want to pay close attention. Jonah chapter 2, verse 6 B, the second part. This is a rescue psalm. This guy is down and out, and now look at this. But, what's the word? Louder. But, you, who's you? God. But you, God, brought me up from the pit. Now he's on his way up again. But, God. He was down, he was out. But, God. Don't forget your but, God moments. That's where things change. My marriage was flat and dead, but God changed my heart, and I became a new husband. I was addicted to porn, but God helped me with a community of people through that, and now I'm, a, I'm living in freedom. I was divorced and thought that was the end, and I was down for the count with seaweed around my head, but God filled my heart, and I have new life and joy in my life today. But God. The doctor said this, but God said that. Friends, don't forget your but God. Where do you need a but God? Where you, you have concluded that it's too late, nothing can change. Don't count God out. Jonah was gone, but God didn't think so. I think Jonah actually died. I think he drowned. But God had more for Jonah to do. Now, there's so much more here I would love to share with you. We don't have time today. There's a phrase here in the next few verses. It says, he's saying to us, he's saying, I remembered the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. He's saying, don't forget God. Don't get Now, when you get fat and happy and get back on dry ground, get out of the belly of the well, don't forget the Lord. Remember the Lord. He goes on to talk about idols and how he says, I gave my life to these stupid things that can't help me. I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to trust in you alone, Lord. And then he ends with this great verse, chapter, nine, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what he says. What I vowed to the Lord, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. What I vowed to the Lord, I will make good. Listen to me, friends. Some of us have made vows to the Lord. And it's time to make good on them. His faithfulness has been unwavering. He may not have done what you wanted on your timetable, but he has not let down his end of the bargain. And he's waiting for you to make good on your vows so he can unleash 
extravagant love and blessing in your life to even greater extent. Make good on your vows. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation is wholeness and forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's peace. It's a sense of contentment. It's a sense of knowing your eternal destiny and having a sense of sanity in life now. And all of that, where are you you looking for that? Comes from the Lord. Make good on your vows. I would like you to hear from my friend George and hear some of his story. So watch the screen. Hi, my name is George Bajak. I've been coming the mountain now for about 15 years. Uh, I'm married. I have uh, three children, uh, eight grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, went to church most of my life when I could get up or when I felt like it. I taught my children about God the uh, same way that I did it. It was an uh, obligation to go to church on Sunday. And uh, I ushered at a church for 20 years that I uh, really never... Uh, found much in it other than I was serving and uh, felt I was a good guy, I was a good husband, a good father and uh, really never knew right from wrong as far as in a relationship with the Lord. In my younger days I uh, really never felt God calling me. I uh, I loved the world, I loved what the world had to offer uh, and yet I could go to church on Sunday with a clear conscience and uh, take communion, take the body of Christ and think that I was a good guy. Uh, I liked uh, partying, I, I liked the uh, bar scene, I liked the porn, you name it, I liked it. Never never seen nothing wrong with it. I thought that's what men did. I liked it. I, I liked the worldly ways. I, uh, I enjoyed you know, doing the things I did. It, it was, I didn't have to wait for fulfillment, you know never knew something else was missing in my life. It was, uh, I was doing everything that I needed to do. I didn't know any other uh, way of living at the time. Yeah, I was pretty successful. I've, I've owned my own business and I uh, was really blessed as far as the, all the uh, things the Lord has given me. But then it just got to be like where everything was empty. Uh, nothing really mattered. I, I just felt there had to be more to life than what I was getting out of it. I just started searching, and uh, you know, it was a gentleman started coming around my business looking for me, and uh, kept coming. And uh, one day I was sitting there, and he finally came in, and uh, I said, "I'm George. How can I help you?" Yeah, he said, "Well, what are you doing tonight?" And I says, uh, "I don't know what I'm doing tonight. What do you want?" And he says, "I'd like to take you out to dinner. Happened to be a Christian businessman's dinner, and..." Uh, was close to my house, so I went to dinner, and at the end of it, they uh, asked if you wanted to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you'd say the sinner's prayer. I said it, not thinking anything. And uh, three days later, this Bill Clark comes prancing back in. He says, uh, "See, you want to know more about the Lord?" He says, uh, "How would you like to do a year study with me?" <laughs> I was thinking in my head, "Yeah, a year study." But then I'm thinking, this guy kept coming for nine or ten months and not going to give up too easily so we ended up doing a study called Timothy study and after three months it was either accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior uh, going on about your business he was going to leave me and let me have fun with the world and uh, I came in that Monday morning we do our study and this particular morning when I pulled up Bill was already there he's standing by my front door and I, uh, he said well what are you going to do you know, are you going to say yes or no and I said yeah I don't know Bill I said this this stuff I'm doing is really making me feel like crap 
I said, you know, it's like everything that I loved with the world doesn't feel so good anymore. I, I can't sleep at night. And uh, I says, I just don't get it. He, he came about three foot off the ground, pumping his fist in the air, saying, yeah, yeah, you, you, got, you got it in you. And I was like, God, what is it? He said, you got Jesus. And he says, that's who's making you feel like that. went inside and it was June 26, 2001 and I invited Jesus Christ into my life and uh, the world hasn't been the same. Uh, God has changed my life. I'm just, you know, it's a lot of people out there like me that love the world and, and live in the world and uh, it's tough. You know, it's a lot of choices to make. And I don't think you can make them on your own because I made them on my own. I was 51 years old and uh, Jesus moved in and uh, it's just different now but Jesus in you, you know, I don't think the world has a chance of uh, winning the battle. God has changed me day by day. Uh, I was living in Bel Air and riding down the uh, bypass every morning going by the detention center and thinking you know, I ought to do some uh, prison ministry. You know, I was in prison at a point in my life and so I'm thinking about this prison every day riding by, but I'd get to work and I was busy and just forget about it. This went on for about a year. And uh, one day I got the uh, mountain on a Sunday morning and, and the bulletin, it seemed like letters about this big. It said, help needed prison ministry. And it had a phone number and I said, okay, God, I got you. I won't put you off any longer. And uh, made that phone call and that's been about 12, 13 years ago I've been, uh, involved with the Hartford County Christian Jail Ministry, uh, taking over coming with the Christ in the detention center. I invite everybody today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to invite him into their lives, and I can guarantee you he'll change it day by day. You don't have to wait till you're 51, or maybe you're 81. Uh, yeah, it's getting close, time to go home, so let's all find God in our lives and stop trying to be slippery and getting away from him, because he is, uh, very powerful and, and he loves us all no matter what we've done no matter where we've been no matter what we've seen no matter who we've hurt God still loves us I know it's hard to understand because when somebody hurts us we want to get even but God wants to love us stop running and turn towards God and he's there with open arms just waiting for you to come home you to make the next few moments some of the most important moments for you. I'm going to invite every single one of us to respond to God, to meet God in this very moment, wherever you're hearing my voice, in this room, wherever you may be. You've heard George's story, you've heard Jonah's story, but your story is the one that God cares about right now. I want to encourage you to actively respond to God right now, to the grace and the pursuing love of God. Every one of us has to respond, at least in one of two ways, I think. We're either, we're either running or we've been rescued. We're either running from God or we've been rescued. If you've been rescued from God and you've invited Jesus into your life, and while you're not perfect, you're striving to live and work and serve with Jesus. 
You're rescued. You have a story to tell. A thank you, like Jonah chapter 2. God, I had seaweed around my head. God, you sent these people into my life who've put my feet on the right path. I'm going to ask you to give a response by the way of thanks. To write in your own mind and heart now a thanksgiving song of praise to God, just like Jonah did. Tell him thank you for what he's done for you. Because if you've been rescued, you've got to dredge that up and remember what he's brought you through and tell him thanks. Give praise that is due him and his name and be on mission with him. Respond to him in that way. In a moment, I'm going to have us all stand. We're going to sing a song. And you may want to come forward and say out loud your thankfulness to God just to get back on track with God and thank him for what he's done in your life. Will you do that? If you're rescued, wherever you are, thank God today. And if you're still running and you've never invited Jesus into your life, you've never just said yes like George said yes, I want to encourage you, your response today is to turn to him, to simply turn to him and say, I'm ready. I'm like Jonah, I'm like George I'm me, and I'm ready for you to come into my life, change my life, and I want to live with you from this day forward. And as we stand and sing in a moment, I invite you to come. We're going to have prayer partners. In fact, prayer partners, you come on up right now. And the band's going to come out, and we're going to sing a song at all of our campuses here. And you may want to step forward. I'm going to encourage you to do that. If it will help mark this moment, all of us respond. As many of you want to come forward for prayer, just say thank you or to turn your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You do that in this moment. Everyone understand? We're all going to respond some way or the other. You're either going to turn or thank. You're either running or rescue. You decide. Let's stand and we'll pray and then sing. God, thank you for Jesus, the greater Jonah, who didn't go in the belly of a fish, but who went in the belly of a tomb for three days and three nights and rose again to save us. Lord, we are, as rescued people, thankful to you. And those of us who are running, may we turn to you now in these moments and claim the victory that is ours in Jesus' name. Amen.